0: Welcome to The Peel, where we break through the surface of sustainability in Florida and get to the juicy stuff at the center of it all. I'm your host and your main squeeze, Amber Whittle. I'm the executive director of South Face Sarasota at the Florida House. We're a nonprofit that is increasing the resilience, affordability and health of Florida's buildings and communities, and we're saving the planet along the way. Check out our programs and events at southface.org backslash Sarasota and schedule your tour of the Florida House Green Demonstration Home and Gardens today. Our guest today is Katie Southworth, South Face Advocacy Program Director. Welcome, Katie. Thanks for joining us on our very first episode of The Peel. Hey, Amber. So glad to be here. So this is very interesting work that you do. I know that you are a lawyer by training. So what kind of of education and previous experience did you have that led you to South Face in this role?
1: Yes, it's true. I am a recovering attorney and bureaucrat. Um, Prior to joining South Face, I joined about four months ago. Um, I worked in the Tennessee State Energy Office and ran our Recovery Act grant programs. A lot of that was focused in solar. Then transitioned into uh, working as an attorney For Natural Resources Defense Council's Sustainable FERC Project and their Energy and Transportation Team in the Southeast, a lot of my work has focused on the electric sector, um, the intersection of climate and electric uh, markets, transformation needed to reach climate change goals, Um, and so I'm really excited to join SouthBase and help ramp up our work in Florida as we've expanded to expanded with the Florida House. Um, But what I got here because of my passion for that intersection between climate and finding cost effective equitable solutions uh, in the
0: energy space to help uh, meet our goals. Yeah, and I remember you said that when you started law school, that energy equity and energy policy was just sort of starting up, but now a lot of law schools have that as a specialty. Is that accurate? Certainly, yes, so um, I went to the law school at the University of
1: Tennessee in, in Knoxville, and we had an environmental law clinic that I participated in at, 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 through the law school. But the focus at that time was more in the air, water waste sort of traditional environmental areas that you think of. Climate and clean energy just was just starting to ramp up. Um, there weren't there weren't, for example, whole courses and tracks for climate and energy like you see now. In uh, law schools, schools of public policy—I mean, there are there are whole programs dedicated to sustainability and energy systems now. So there weren't as many uh, resources available at the University of Tennessee uh, to help get into this space. So I've learned a lot along the way um, as we had a growing, growing interest in this area. Oh,
0: but I would love—trailblazer.
1: Yeah, I would have loved—I would have loved to have gone through one of those programs. There's there's a lot of really good programs, and also. Uh, master's programs at law law schools now that a number of my colleagues and friends have gone back and enrolled in um, just to to beef up their skill set.
0: That's really fascinating because I had never really thought of law school and that being a specialty in it. You know, you hear corporate law and tax law and um, family law. So that's great that there's climate and equity law too.
1: For sure. So um, PACE has a great energy uh, program. University of Vermont has a very strong environmental program period, but they also have a good a good uh, energy and environment track
0: as well. Um, so those law schools are really leading the way. Wow, well, Interesting. So you mentioned equity and climate and that intersection, and that's really your specialty of how energy usage contributes to those two things. Is it the advocacy program at South Face focusing on anything else? So the advocacy
1: program is, is focused on equitable clean energy in the American South. So we're looking at climate, uh, cost-effective solutions that, that meet the sort of place-based concerns uh, in the region. We have a real focus on supporting local organizations and local communities to help design solutions that meet their needs, um, and equity is an essential component of that. Um, because you're not going to design solutions in an energy system that we of the future uh, that works for everyone if you're not listening to the impacts that decisions are being made by utilities um, and and you know state and regional national level decision makers if they're not listening to the communities that are impacted we're not going to it's not going to be a sustainable result and we just won't get there right mm-hmm. so our focus is around climate and energy but also you know, jobs, economic development that comes with it and supporting uh, growth in communities uh, because there's a real opportunity to meet the needs of people on the ground, not just, not just, you know, uh, supporting uh, revenues for utilities, you know.
0: I think that that sounds like a very noble reason and uh, strategy for bringing unheard voices into the conversation. Um, so I just learned recently that Floridians use energy in a different way than other states. So can you uh, give us a quick snapshot of how Floridians use energy and where it's coming from? Yeah, so Florida is a really
1: interesting state. When you look at the data, EIA data, EIA is Energy Information Administration, and that is a federal agency that collects utility and consumer Uh, consumption data. Uh, They provide monthly annual and they they do analysis of that. So if anyone's interested in learning more, go to EIA.gov. There's more than (laughs) if you're a data nerd, you'll really like uh, the resources that they're putting up there and they're really expanding under the current administration, the amount of information they're providing. Anyhow, that's my pitch for EIA. But Florida is really interesting in that within the electricity sector, Give a very small industrial sector usage. The, the bulk of the electricity consumption in Florida is coming from residential users. And so what that means is that there's a real opportunity to work on residential building codes, residential energy efficiency, distributed energy resources at the customer level. That means that, that individual households can make a really big impact if we can get policies on the books that support residential customers. It also provides a really good touch point to talk about energy burden and energy costs to households in Florida, because they do make up such a big part of the consumption in the state, talking to those residential customers about measures that they can do to to reduce their energy burden, but also providing policies and incentives to support them as they try to make smart investments in their own home is is a real big play, good play for Florida. I'll note that Florida also has a very high, uh, relative to other states, consumption of petroleum fuels. The transportation sector is another big part A big slice of the energy consumption in Florida accounting for about 40 percent of energy consumption, which is pretty high relative to other sectors compared to other states. And it may be because you have a smaller industrial sector. But overall, uh, Florida is the third largest transportation fuels uh, uh, consuming state in, in the U.S., um, and a lot of that fuel is imported to the state, so there's a real opportunity to transition over to electrification and all the economic development that comes there because you can generate the power that goes to fuel those cars in Florida rather than buying it from other states. So overall, Florida imports about 70 percent or more of its ener- the, the fuels that it uses for its energy. So that's significant. That really, really is. You do have a good chunk from nuclear and that of course is generated, you know, where the, where the plant's located. You have some pretty high comparatively biofuels contribution to your resource mix and a growing amount of solar, but really you're importing a lot and you those dollars are going out of the state. So, um, that's another area. It's a unique feature of Florida. And it's another area where there's, you know, a challenge, but a big opportunity, uh,
0: to to grow jobs and make some change there. Yeah, and I didn't, I guess for Floridians, that probably doesn't surprise us because we're a huge retirement state. And so we don't have a lot of jobs in industry. We're mostly residential and I guess people drive and buy a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just had a solar lecture here this morning by Andrew Tanner and he was saying, in Florida and our community, every year there's 50% more solar users. So solar users are increasing by 50 percent every year. And I think that that's amazing. And I know that Tico, which is the Tampa Electric Company just north of us, uh, they have about 15 percent of their energy that's coming from solar. So even the utilities are really expanding um, their large solar fields versus the distributed that you were talking about, which is huge potential for individuals to have it on rooftops and, and generating the energy very close to where they're using it.
1: Yeah, Florida is really interesting for solar and that, especially in the last five years, 2020 was a huge year for solar. Florida ranks number three out of all the states in the U.S. in terms of solar capacity installed. And in 2020, there were almost 3000 megawatts of solar that came online. That is a really big number. Florida is also projected to be the third largest state in terms of growth over the next decade for solar. And I expect that could change depending on um, uh, legislation
0: that's currently being that is being proposed. Um, but it's- are, you, are you talking about the net metering legislation that's being proposed? Because that was gonna be my question is, is that huge increase going to be utility scale or distributed energy like individual homeowners or both?
1: So the projection is for both to grow, the, the net metering would, will, how net metering, what happens with net metering will determine the level of investment in distributed solar, of course, but um, both residential or, or just distributed solar have grown, both that and, and utility scale have grown significantly over the last five years, although the utility scale has grown proportionally more, much, much more, much
0: faster. Um, Can you give us a little um, tutorial on net metering and how it will affect the residential solar? So net metering, the definition of net metering
1: depends on who you ask, right? So there's a federal legislation, uh, EPA Act 2005, uh, the required public utilities to uh, to, it, it, in, to uh, implement net metering policies. And so net metering, but, but the way that that's actually happened, that mandate and that creation of this net metering requirement has been interpreted in a variety of ways. So for example, you'll see some utilities that say Well, we'll step back. The concept of net is is similar to if you think of net in other contexts. So if you have a net metering, in an ideal world, you have one meter at at the customer interconnection point where it's measuring energy going in and energy going out, and it nets. It gives you a net number. So if you have a solar on your roof and that solar is going through your house and out onto the grid, it accounts for the solar that you're pushing the energy you're pushing out and it also accounts for the energy that you're 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 buying in so you have one meter that will measure bidirectionally the energy that's coming onto your property so in an ideal world you get one meter at the end of the month the utility trues up how much have you put on how much have you have you bought And it allows customers to participate in the marketplace and get credit for the value that they're providing to the system now there are other utilities that interpret net metering to to, uh, to, that they can satisfy that requirement by having two meters one meter which measures what's going in and then you have a separately metered uh distributed system so your your solar panel system would be have a separate meter which is more expensive right and it's one way measuring your energy that goes out. So you don't get the credit for that netting. Uh it costs more. Um, and the, the argument often by utilities is that you need two meters so that they can manage their system because of like reliability types of considerations. But the truth is that uh on the smaller side, if you know these systems that are, you know, a couple kw's, it's not as if that it it's going to make much of a difference in most cases to the distribution system and manage management of reliability, but that's the conversation that often happens around that. So net metering is intended to be one meter that measures bi-directionally, but sometimes it's implemented in a way where you have two meters and one, one's looking one way and the other one's looking the other way.
0: Yeah, and that's what we've heard from our, from our solar partners is that if they get rid of net metering, it doubles the cost of solar for residential properties because obviously, um, energy is coming in at night, and going out during the day. So this would just be you paying for the energy coming in, but you would not be, be- reimbursed by the energy going out. And so it would just gut the solar energy industry, um, after costs coming way down over the last 10 years, and um, number of people going up, but they're pretty confident with the number of solar customers that they have now that there's going to be significant pushback mm-hmm. on that legislation.
1: And I argue that it's more work for the utility because then you've got two meters you have to deal with, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get one smart meter, and you can you can. But but anyhow, it is definitely going to be a content continue to be a contentious issue for the coming months in Florida. And I believe folks at Vote Solar and other organizations are engaging on, on that very issue uh, right now.
0: So getting back to our history of energy in Florida, can you talk about the challenges and the opportunities that Floridians have um, when it comes to our energy? So as I mentioned earlier, the fact that Florida imports
1: most of its energy fuels suggests that if Florida were to take a more sort of homegrown approach, looking at things like solar, looking at efficiency, looking at Relying, building up its own infrastructure to allow for distributed energy resources that are located where the customer is that's using them. So, we're talking rooftop solar. That would, from an energy independence perspective and a a reliability resilience perspective, uh, there's a huge opportunity in Florida for that, as well as transitioning over towards electric vehicles, um, given that. Florida has such high consumption of petroleum fuels. I know that part of that is because of the tourist industry as well, but the air quality impacts um, infrastructure concerns about getting petroleum where you need it with hurricanes and all of that. I mean, there there's a real opportunity to look at switching to EVs, but then also making sure that the electric system is cleaner um, and and that that customers are being able to you know generate their own their own value by putting DERs on on, on the grid. Um, it's, it's, if you think about it, you know, Florida is consuming, uh, I think it's number three, in terms of overall energy consumption. And it, it, knowing that the vast majority of that's coming from out of state, y'all are giving money to the rest of the country to do, <laughs> to do what you do with how you're using electricity. I mean, if you think about it that way, um, and, and then it shows you a big opportunity to invest back into the state by taking, taking on some of those measures and, and, and implementing policies, not like the metering bill that we're talking about, but making sure that that doesn't happen, that would enable you to become more energy
0: independent and resilient. Yep, we are the sunshine state. We should Absolutely. be using it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what could Florida look like in the future if we get this right? If you get it right, I think that we're looking
1: at uh, customer models, business models that allow customers to provide energy back onto the grid that provide they can also provide flexibility and valuing the flexibility that distributed energy resources can provide to the grid. That will require a shift in thinking uh, about how you use electricity and how you participate in electricity markets in the state. Right now, it's very top down. You know, you've got your local utility. You're kind of beholden to the programs and offerings that they that they that they provide to their customers. But having a more customer focused approach where customers are, are allowed to offer energy back into the grid, but also the flexibility. So in times when the electric grid is constrained, like so we're talking climate change here, it's here. It's here. It's we're, it. Florida is on the front lines of the climate crisis, and so Florida can be a leader in addressing that crisis. And one way to do that is by valuing the flexibility and resilience that customers can offer to the grid. Having a top-down sort of, you know, loads, uh, base load, large plant uh, designed electric system where you're looking at nuclear, big coal plants, natural gas, that kind of a system where you've got big plants and it's top-down going to consumers is not flexible enough to meet the needs and challenges of climate change. It simply isn't. Our infrastructure is not ready for it. And it's really important that we start thinking about things that we can do as end-use customers to support the grid, to put power back onto it, how energy efficiency and DR, how we interact with our utilities and how they can call on us to help support the system and providing business models and incentives to, 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 to incentivize that behavior is, is I believe the direction that Florida needs to go in if you get it right, versus just relying on your traditional large generation plants. Um, be, in, in particular, because of the unique challenges that you're facing in Florida, with climate change, I mean, you, you really do have to look at homegrown solutions.
0: Yeah, as hurricanes become more and more powerful and frequent, the sort of catchphrase of the of the emergency management agency is the first 72 hours are on you. And if there is a catastrophic hurricane, the grid goes down. So even if you have solar on your house, the grid goes down. So certainly I think the future of distributed energy is batteries too, so that you can store the batteries. And what I've heard is the technology is there, but it's the uh, supply chain isn't there yet. It's sort of like the microchips and how that slowed down um, all the car manufacturing, that's what slowed down Tesla and all their manufacturing too are the batteries. So I think you're right, we have such great opportunities here and our challenges are gonna be more long-term. like. California right now is looking at droughts and and wildfires, and they're here. You know, we have hurricanes here. Um, we didn't get hit with any in the last couple of years, but they are here. But it's something sea level rise is long term. We have time. We have time to really change that infrastructure in people's minds.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you have infrastructure, it's transmission, getting the electricity to the customer, right, which is really challenged by, by climate hurricanes. You also have pipelines. Florida is fairly reliant on natural gas. Above 70 percent of your electricity is coming from natural gas plants. That natural gas does not come from Florida. It is piped in. And so that infrastructure is also particularly susceptible. So the, the climate change impacts are attacking, are going to impact the electricity system at a number of levels from, you know, across the value chain you're talking about fuel on the front end we're talking about you know consumption on getting it to the customer and delivery on the back end which which all of that you know is sort of alleviated when you have you know solar storage those types of solutions storage although there, yeah, yeah for sure there are supply chain issues we're hearing that for panels batteries even just even for um meters and things right now but I believe there's going to be a fair amount of investment from DOE. They have a revolving loan fund to support manufacturers in the domestic manufacturers. There are a number of polysilicon refining companies that are coming in. There's a big one coming into Tennessee. There's a few others in the Southeast that are going to be ramping up. Um, All that to say, I think there's investment that's coming to alleviate some of that. But workforce is also a limitation, And, and particularly in Florida. They're finding installers that are trained and able to install systems and battery systems as well is a a limitation that needs to be addressed.
0: Well, this is all such a great overview of what's going on in Florida, the big picture. So how can listeners get involved in shaping Florida's energy future? Um, I know you have some exciting uh, opportunities coming up. And could you tell us about them?
1: Absolutely. So there are a number of ways to get involved. Of course, the first thing you can do is look at your own behavior, implement measures at your home and in your workplaces and best practices, you know, practice what you preach type of thing. But beyond that, we really do need systems change if we want to be able to create the kind of energy systems and and economies of, of the future. So what you can do is you can advocate at your local level with your local decision makers. You can advocate at the Public Service Commission. Uh, And we're working to grow awareness around that. You can advocate with your state legislators about issues that matter to you most. You could talk about net metering right now. If you care about that issue, you can talk about uh, with businesses, clean energy businesses can be great allies. As you're talking with decision makers, Uh, universities can also be good, good allies when it comes to research and development and designing solutions that are place based and tailored for Florida. There's, the energy sector touches so many so many different places of Florida. Every single person is affected by the decisions that are made uh, around the electric system and energy systems. So there's a lot of ways to get engaged. And we're going to be teaching folks in particular about issues that are handled by the Public Service Commission in the upcoming year and as well as state, state, uh, state legislature. So we'll be looking at energy policy at the state level. In Florida, looking at the FICA, Florida Energy Efficiency and Conservation Act, giving giving some uh, giving information to folks to get how, on how to advocate around that. Um, and we'll also be doing just some more general education so that folks understand how the system works, where is the energy coming from, you know how to, how do your utility bills, how to how to understand what you're paying for, um, and understand the investments that are being made uh for in, in florida
0: excellent and i think you have some workshops coming up and you have an open position for a florida advocacy person yes thanks amber for giving me an opportunity
1: to pitch that we have a position open it's advocacy project manager and we we that position will help us uh in delivering eight workshops next year to talk about these issues that we've been to dig in a bit further than the issues that we've been talking about today we're going to be doing an, a 101 seminar we're going to talk about energy efficiency we're going to be talking about solar transmission equity climate we're going to be hitting hitting <laughs> doing all the bases uh, in that in that workshop so we we're really eager to find a person who wants to support that work and then dig in as we get more active at the Public Service Commission, which is going to be really fun.
0: And you can find information on those workshops um, on the South Face Eventbrite page, correct? Um, And is it also on our website? Yes. Information
1: on how to register uh, for the events is posted on southface.org.
0: You can find that there. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. And thanks for listening to The Peel. To get involved with South Southface Sarasota at the Florida House, visit southface.org/sarasota. To donate, text SF Sarasota to 44321. Until next time, stay sunny.